Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. That's where we're going to be for a good deal of our time this evening. And we'll be bouncing out a time or two, but you may even just want to place your ribbon right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 because we'll just keep... Let's all be looking together in the Bible. Not only does that help you to track along with the lesson, but it also helps you to keep me in check and to make sure that the things that I'm saying harmonize with the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It is great to see everybody this evening, even though we have had lots of our number who have been out today due to sickness and due to travel, but I'm so glad that you are here and I'm glad that we have the chance uh, once again here at the close of the first day of the week to worship together and to uh, blend our hearts and our minds together right now through the study of God's Word. Let's do that in 1 Corinthians the 7th chapter. I'm reading here the words of the Apostle Paul when he says this in verse 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, I wish... I wish that I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Which group of folks are arguably the most neglected group here at Lakeside? Who are the people who are probably getting the fewest sermons tailored just for them? Who is that group who get the least amount of special articles in the bulletin or Bible classes or gospel meetings that are geared to help and to assist them? Who is the most neglected group? Who would you say that is? Would it help if I told you that in that group would also be people like Elijah the prophet and Anna the prophetess and Paul the apostle? I'm talking, of course, about our singles. Paul says, to the married and to the widowed, those who are as I am. In 1 Corinthians 7, right here in the middle of a discussion about marriage, Paul takes a brief detour to say a word or two to singles. And this evening, I am also going to kind of take a brief detour as I include this bonus session in our 2020 preaching theme on marriage matters because I also want to say a word or two to folks who are single. I do think that this is a group that is often overlooked, not just in this congregation, but probably in most congregations. And I think it would do us well to just give some attention to what the Bible has to say to folks who are not married. What do you do if you have never been married before? What do you do if you are widowed? What do you do if you are divorced? What do you do if you have the right to be remarried, but, but you can't seem to find the right person to get married to? What if you are a lonely person and you crave so very much the companionship that comes from being married? What is God's will for folks who are single? I think this is an important subject. In fact, I think this is a relevant subject for all of us to consider, which means that this evening, those of us who are married... We don't get to check out. No, we actually need to hang in here this evening because quite frequently, singles say that married folks have a tendency to make rather foolish and thoughtful comments to them. Married folks sometimes make hurtful jokes that demonstrate a real lack of empathy and at the very least, just say things that are unhelpful. 
We need to do better than that, married folks. We need to be more mindful of folks who are single. We need to try to understand how they oftentimes are made to feel so that we then in turn can be a help to them and we can be an encouragement to them. And so this evening, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to talk to the unmarried and to the widows. We're talking to singles tonight. We want to get into the Word of God and see what kind of instruction and help that it offers to those who find themselves with that lot in life. Let me say before you tonight three principles from Scripture that I think will help our singles to please the Lord. And the starting point for that is to just go right back to our opening text. Can we read that again? In 1 Corinthians 7 and in verse 7, Paul writes, he says there, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows I say that it is good for me single as I am. Principle number one, singles... You are okay just where you are. Biblically, there is no mandate or command to marry ever. Now, it is certainly true that in biblical times there was a lot of societal pressure to get married. I'm thinking particularly in Old Testament times where a woman who maybe wasn't married and didn't have children, she was viewed as being cursed by God. Oh my, she must be some kind of terrible sinner to not have a husband. And so that woman would feel some pressure to go out and to get married in order to relieve that stigma. But despite how society feels about being married, God has consistently and regularly used singles to accomplish His will. In the Old Testament, you would have people like Jeremiah or men like Elisha, or Elijah, or even Daniel as best as we can tell. And if ever there was about whether or not it was okay to be single, into the New Testament comes the greatest single of all time. Jesus the Christ. Jesus was not married. In fact, Jesus was not married at age 30, which was very much outside the norms of that culture. And of course, it is Jesus who came onto the scene and he dared to say things that were very counterculture about marriage. Jesus is the one who would come along and essentially say that marriage, marriage is not the end-all, be-all of your existence. Did you know Jesus said things like that? For example, in Matthew 22. I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Hold your place in Corinthians. In Matthew 22 and in verse 30, you remember that Jesus was asked some questions about marriage and how all that relates to eternity. He says in Matthew 22 and in verse 30, He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. In fact, let me add to that what Jesus says in Luke the 14th chapter. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus actually had the temerity to say here that there are things that are way more important than being married. He says in Luke 14 and in verse 26, He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus says here that no earthly relationship transcends our relationship to God, not even a spouse. And that's exactly why Paul comes along in our opening text, and if you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
actually suggests that being single can be preferable to marriage. Did you know that? That's what Paul's saying there. Being single could actually be preferable. Now I want to be clear, neither Paul nor Jesus is saying that it is wrong to get married. But Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 7, drop down to verse 26, that in light of present distress, that's probably a reference to persecution that was happening in the first century. Paul says in light of that person, per, excuse me, that present distress, he says not only is singleness okay, but he actually says you might be better off if you're trying to be a Christian. In 1 Corinthians 7, pick up in verse 28. Paul says there, he says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Paul said that if you get married, then you're going to have troubles. Can I get an amen, husbands? No, 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 wait, don't, don't give an amen to that. That's not the kind of troubles Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about a different kind of trouble here. What Paul's talking about here is that being single at that time in the city of Corinth, it might actually be better for your Christianity if you weren't married. He keeps on in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or the betrothed woman, she is anxious about the things of, of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But the married woman, she's anxious about worldly things, about how to please her husband. Paul says if you get married, you're just going to have more on your plate. You're going to have more to worry about. Your interests are going to be divided. You're going to have to have more things that you have to consider, more things that you're going to need to be involved in. Single people, therefore, they have an advantage that maybe married people don't have. And I really don't think that this is a point that gets emphasized nearly enough. You know, it seems sometimes that we just kind of run to extremes when it comes to marriage. There are folks who say, oh man, marriage is it. It is. got to get married. Everybody needs to get married. Marriage is just what it's all about. In fact, didn't Paul tell Timothy and Titus that if a man wants to be an elder or a deacon in the local church, he has to be married? So, uh, uh, see, see right there? You need to get married. Everybody needs to get married. Well, Paul's not saying that here in Corinthians. Paul didn't say anything like that. But then, of course, you have folks who run to, complete, to the complete opposite extreme. They're the folks who say, oh, I'll tell you what, if you're single, shoo, being single is just awful. It's just the worst thing there ever was. You're like a second-class citizen. If you're single, well, well, then that means there must be something wrong with you. There must be something deficient about you or about your character. No, Paul, Paul doesn't say that either. Paul says it's okay to be single. And in some cases, it might even be ideal. And so singles... Don't get down. Don't get depressed. Don't let the fact that sometimes we don't give you the attention that you need, don't let that cause you to be down and discouraged. I want you to just remember, you remember this first point right here. You remember that the Bible says you can count for the Lord. That God has and God will continue to use singles as long as they continue to submit themselves to His will. And really that is the key, isn't it? 
Because secondly this evening, singles need to remember, they need to remember that everybody, well, everybody's waiting for something. Can we go grab that famous passage about waiting? That's in Isaiah the 40th chapter. In Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet here, as he speaks for God, he says this to the captives that are from Judah, they're captives in Babylon. He says to them in Isaiah 40 and in verse 29, that God gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall receive or renew their strength, They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That has become for all time the go-to text for waiting on the Lord. It's a wonderful passage. And for the original recipients of that message, those were of Babylon, for those people that wait was going to be quite lengthy. Those Judean captives would have to wait in captivity for 70 years. And so this text was given to them to be an encouragement to them, to be a consolation to these people who were stuck in really bad circumstances. But you know what? Sometimes the longer that we have to wait, the sooner our faith begins to fade into frustrations. I've known all kinds of people who have found themselves right smack dab in the middle of Isaiah chapter 40 and they didn't like it. They did not want to be there. They were frustrated. The faith that they had was dwindling the longer and longer that they had to wait. I've known, for example, couples who have desperately wanted to have children. And so they tried everything that medical science and technology could arrange for them. And yet over and over and over again, they found that their waiting amounted to nothing. I've known couples as well who have tried to go the adoption route, want to try to adopt a child. And they are forced to go through what it seems like is an endless matter of hoops. They have to fill out more forms, go to more hearings and have more progress reports done only to be told at the end, I'm sorry, but your application has been denied. There are so many people who are waiting. There are people with terminal diseases who are waiting for a cure. Do you remember our brother Tim Gimple just a couple of years ago? That man waited and waited for years to find a new kidney. And it never came. There are people who are out of work and they are waiting for a callback to get an interview so that they can land a job. There are people who have a prodigal child who are waiting on the doorstep, looking like the prodigal's father, looking and waiting for their child to return to the Lord. There's lots and lots of waiting going on. And singles... Singles, you need to understand that. In fact, this is where I'm going to kind of start playing bad cop a little bit. You need to understand this. You need to understand you are not the only one who has to do some waiting in life. You're not alone in the waiting game. Sometimes we can get so focused and fixated on ourselves and on what we are waiting for that we almost act as if we are the only people who's ever had to know the pain of having to wait for something that we really, really wanted. Let's just tap the brakes for a moment on that. Everybody, and I mean everybody, has dreams and desires. Everybody has things that they are hoping for and that they are praying about. 
And sometimes life gets in the way. Sometimes a global pandemic happens. Sometimes other circumstances come up that gets in the way of those dreams and those desires. And as a result, they have to be put off for a little while. Or maybe they're never even realized at all. And do you know what we have to do when that occurs? We have to turn to the Lord and wait on Him. That's what we do. The reason that Isaiah writes this passage in Isaiah 40 is because he knew and the Lord knew that sometimes people grow weary in their waiting. And when people grow weary, there is often temptation to try and well, to try and speed things along. Maybe I can just kind of get in there and I'll make something happen on my own. There is a temptation to, well, maybe if I compromise, then things will start moving along. Or maybe even if I sin a little bit, hey, maybe that'll help the process out. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 16 the story of Hagar? How Abraham and Sarah, they were not able to conceive a child. And Sarah, she just got so frustrated about that that she gave her handmaiden to Abraham. How'd that turn out? That was a debacle. That was a mess. That was just everything was wrong about that. Completely wrong. But even as I say that, you and I know that it's easy to see how Sarah got tired of waiting, didn't she? Maybe you're in a similar situation. Maybe you'll say, you know what, I'm tired of waiting for a job. I'm tired of waiting for them to call me back. And so what I'll do is I'll just fill out another application and I'll just fudge a little bit on the information there. I mean, come on, who actually... I'm going to kind of lie a little bit so that I can get hired and I can have a job. Or maybe a young person says, I really, really need to get into this college. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cheat a little bit on this exam. And yes, and I know that's not the right thing to do, but I have to go to this college. I can't have it any other way. Do you see what happens when we come, when we become impatient? We end up giving up the things that matter the very most, like, like our integrity and our relationship with the Lord because of this thing that we want so much that we're not to on the Lord. And that can absolutely happen with folks who are single. One survey actually found that you can increase your chances of getting a date online, you can increase your chances by a factor of 10 if you will post a picture of yourself in a bikini. You doing that? You going there? Hey, I'll present myself immodestly appareled. I'll ignore what the Bible says about sexuality and about lust because, hey, I need a date. I want a date. Really? You going that route? You willing to do that? You see, what we're talking about really is the danger of, of idolatry. When we want something so badly that we obsess on it, it's all that we can think about, it more or less comes to just define our entire existence. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks here about idolatry. And I want you to notice that he doesn't talk about the idolatry of a physical statue. That's what we we always think of when we think of idolatry. That's not the idolatry of Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, look in verse 5. Paul says this, Ephesians 5, 5. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Hold on just a second there. What did Paul say about idolatry? He said, Paul said idolatry is equivalent to covetousness. 
What's covetousness? Covetousness is wanting something so bad that you will do practically anything in order to get it. Have you ever known someone who was single and they wanted companionship so badly that they were willing to compromise their morals and their values, maybe they were even willing to give up on the Lord in order to have a mate. Have you known someone like that? I have. I have and it's heartbreaking. Which is why it is important, singles, that you not only understand that waiting is something that everybody has to do, but that you understand thirdly this evening that you have a need and you have a necessity to wait productively. To wait productively. Many of you may remember last October when my dad had traveled to South America for a preaching trip. He was going to be gone for about uh, 10 days in the country of Ecuador. But you will remember that back in the middle of that trip, the country started to have some protests over the rise in gasoline prices. And that in turn led to roads being shut down. It led to travel being severely restricted. And as a result, my dad ended up being stuck in Ecuador for about 20 days. And it was really frustrating. It was frustrating for us back home. It was really frustrating for him. Because it was completely out of his control. There wasn't anything that he could do about that. And so do you know what he did while he was waiting there? What my dad did and several of the other brethren down there did is they got out and they printed up some bulletins and some flyers and some tracts and they just went around the communities handing out tracts. I think they handed out hundreds if not thousands of those tracts on a daily basis. They kept on having Bible studies during those additional days. They continued to teach and to spread the gospel of Christ. What my dad was doing was he was waiting productively. Again, he couldn't change anything about civil unrest that was going on in Ecuador. It was beyond his control. But what was within his control was the ability to be productive while he was waiting. Singles... Are you listening here? That's what Paul's talking about in our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He's talking about waiting productively. As you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you are delayed in going down the aisle and being able to say say I do to that special someone, then what you need to be doing, brother or sister, is you need to be using that time in the interim for Jesus Christ. You don't have a spouse that you have to be occupied with and worried about. You have more power over your time and over your energies and over your money. Look again in 1 Corinthians 7. Look in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. So he says there that the single man, he is anxious only about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. Verse 34, as he talks there about single women, she's anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. Is that you? That's describing someone who is waiting productively. Are you waiting productively? Or are you just pouring more of yourself into yourself? You know, sometimes folks try to give advice. This is where married folks oftentimes just goof up big time. Sometimes we try and go and give advice to folks who are single. And we say things to them like, Oh, you know what you need to do? You need to just focus on you right now. 
You need to be worried about making something of yourself. You need to build yourself up and develop yourself because that's what's going to make it happen. If you'll get yourself all fixed and all so, that's when the Lord's going to send you somebody that can be your mate. And and, and I know that that's a very well-meaning and well-intentioned bunch of advice. But I will tell you, it is so self-centered. The reason that we want to work on ourselves and grow and develop is not because I want to try and attract somebody to me. No, the reason that I want to grow and develop and to be better is because that's what the Bible says to do. That's what Paul says pleases the Lord. You know, we've talked all year long about glorifying God in our marriages. That if you are a husband, it is your job to glorify God in that role as a husband. If you are a wife, it is your job to glorify God in your role as a wife. But you know what? The idea of glorifying the Lord in that way, that's not just limited to marriage. We are called to glorify God wherever we are in life. And so what makes us think that somehow singles draw a pass on that? Oh, well, I'm not married yet, and so I can live selfishly. I can do whatever I want to do. No. No, being unmarried, it does not exempt you from glorifying God. In fact, in some ways, it may make you even more responsible. And so I'll ask you, singles, what are you doing? What are you doing to bring glory to God in your singleness? God has given you this season in your life to be used for for Him and for His purposes and His things. What I'm asking is, is how are you waiting productively until that next season of life comes? Now, these three principles, I believe, are simple and straightforward. But I believe they do help us in having a proper attitude toward being single because they come from the Word of God. Let me see then if I can close with two very specific and direct admonitions. First, let me say a word to us married folks. Married folks, we need to be supportive and understanding of those who are single. And part of that means that we're not going to make jokes about that. Trust me, joking with single people about, oh, when are you ever going to get married? It's about as funny to them as bald jokes are to bald folks. They've heard all of them. They're not funny. When you go to a single person, you say, oh, when are you going to finally settle down and get married? What they're thinking is, hopefully sooner than you learn some tact. That's what they're thinking. We need to be more tactful. We need to be more considerate. We need to encourage our singles just as they are. God's okay with them. Why aren't we? And let's try as well to invite and to include them. And let's not make every event for couples only. Let's find ways to incorporate them into our lives. And let's be praying for them. Let's pray that they can be patient and that as they are waiting, they will wait productively and then... Let's accept them just as God accepts them. Let's look for them to be useful servants within the kingdom of God. And then secondly, let me say to our singles, 
Singles, whether you are in the circumstance and situation that you are in, whether that's by choice or whether that's by events in your life that maybe to some degree you didn't have any control over, I want you to remember God accepts you right where you are. You don't have to have a spouse. In fact, I'll even say to our young people, you don't have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend in order to be pleasing to the Lord. This is not, as I heard a preacher once put it, this is not the days of Noah where it's either pair up or perish. No. You can serve the Lord even as a single. And that's exactly where you need to put your focus for this season of your life. And you need to do that, not because fervently serving the Lord is going to somehow trick God into sending you a mate. No, you need to do that because it's right. Because the Bible says so, because that is what honors Jesus Christ. And that, that is what will one day see your soul to heaven by putting the Lord first and by seeking His kingdom above all else. Would you pray with me? Let's go to God in prayer about that. Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you this evening thankful for your word and for the way that it speaks to all of us, wherever we are in life. Father, we're thankful for what your word says to us about marriage, and we've been impressed by that throughout this year. But Father, we're thankful for the things that you have said in your word about those who are single, and what their priorities in life ought to be, and how they ought to handle their day-to-day lives as they are in that period of waiting. Father, we pray that you would bless your word in the hearts and in the ears and in the minds of everyone who has heard these things this evening. We pray, Father, that you would help those who are single. Help them not to be discouraged. Help them to find encouragement in you and through your people and through your word. Father, help them to recognize the great opportunities that are before them and how they might use this time in their life to bring glory and honor to you. Help them, Father, to be mobilized to be of service in your kingdom in a great and powerful way. Father, we know that you have used single people all throughout history and we are confident that you can continue to do that even to this day. Help us, Lord, to just always put you first, even above our husbands and our wives and all the other people that we are involved with every day. Help us to always seek you and your kingdom above all else so that one day we can be with you in glory. Help us all, Father, wherever we are in life. Help us to always strive to do what's right and to serve you. We thank you for Jesus and for the blessings that come through him and the glorious hope that we have of being with you someday in heaven. And it is through his name that we offer this prayer. And amen.